be honest with yourself because like you said there are seasons in life there's going to be a season in life when your kids are gone and your career is not as crazy and you're older um, and you have more time to fast and you can really focus on longevity welcome to the high performance health podcast with your host angela foster the show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high-performance mind, body, and lifestyle. I'm here today with Kelsey Hess, who is a certified transformational nutrition coach that specializes in women's health and thyroid disorders. Kelsey is currently the content and brand manager at Keon, a supplement and lifestyle company co-founded by Ben Greenfield based in Boulder, Colorado. As a former engineer, her passion involves breaking down complex scientific topics in the health industry into simple ideas and solutions that anyone can understand. And I'm very excited to have Kelsey here today with me. We're going to be talking about a few areas of women's health in particular, of which Kelsey is a true um, specialist and expert. Uh, Kelsey, it's so great to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Angela. It's great. So uh, we met, what is it, coming up to two years ago, I guess now, uh, with Keon, quite mm-hmm. some time ago. Um, so to get started, to kind of introduce you, uh, I know that you have had a long battle with Hashimoto's, Hashimoto, sorry, and that kind of what led you into optimizing women's health initially. Can you just give a little bit more background on that? Yeah, definitely. So it's it's sort of a long history, as most autoimmune disorders are. Um, I think it started in my teens, actually. So I have a genetic predisposition for Hashimoto's and thyroid disorders. My mom has Hashimoto's. My grandma has it. Um, so I was I was kind of set up to to get something if the cards were dealt that way. Um, and you know, I had in my teens, I had the basic hormonal acne that a lot of teenagers get, um, and was sort of handed birth control as an option. Didn't know much about it. Didn't get told much about it by my doctor. Was kind of like, here, this is a pill that you can take. It'll clear up your skin. It'll regulate your periods. It's like a magic pill, essentially, was how it was sold to me. Um, So I started taking birth control when I was 16, uh, which is really young. And that's also a very common story for a lot of women these days. Yeah, super common. Very similar to me. (laughs) I was prescribed it exactly the same way you were. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, it worked like a charm. My acne went away. Um, Everything sort of like regulated out. But one thing I did notice when I was a teenager is that my athletic performance actually went down quite a bit after I started taking the pill. And at the time, I didn't know that's what it was. I was just like, oh, I'm kind of, you know, I feel like I'm sort of gaining weight. I'm not as fast as I used to be. I'm not as strong as I used to be. Um, And I was a competitive athlete in college as well. So it was sort of an an issue for me that I didn't tie back to birth control at first. Um, So that was, I think, probably the first uh, nail in the coffin, so to speak. And then later in my teens, I got uh, Epstein-Barr virus, so mono, um, and was really sick for a couple of months from that. And as you know, viruses, they kind of, EBV stays in your system essentially for the rest of your life, and it can be reactivated. So I I had an immune issue going on at the same time I was on birth control. Um, And then in college, I lived in a moldy apartment. Uh, So our apartment flooded when uh, I was a sophomore in college. And all of these things kind of just sort of um, brew into the perfect storm. And I 
basically my first symptom was my hair started falling out in chunks. So shortly after that, it was, it was kind of shedding and, and I was like, oh, that's weird. I'm losing a lot of hair. Um, and then so this is more than it just kind of coming out on your hairbrush. This is, were you, would you, would you be like oh, pulling out chunks? Like it was noticeable. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember distinctly, uh, I was dating my husband at the time and there was one day I went into the bathroom and I was kind of just brushing my hair and like an absurd amount came out. And I just oh. was like, what is happening? Do I have cancer? What is this? You oh, know? No. Scary. Um, really scary. And so, uh, kind of like the crying on the bathroom floor sort of experience where I was like, there's something really wrong here. Um, and so after college, I um, just sort of died, like dove head first into the health space, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Um, because I had all these weird symptoms. Nobody could tell me what they were. I went to a bunch of doctors, paid a lot of money uh, to basically just be told that I needed to go back on birth control. And I was like, that can't be right. Um, and so I started listening to podcasts, reading books, um, just dabbling in everything I could. I did raw diets. I did, uh, back in the day, there was like this thing called an apple fast. So you ate just apples for three days. I did that. How was that? (laughs) No, it was so funny because, uh, it actually helped for a week or so. Okay. And then I was like, I can't just eat apples for the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so it was basically like a decade of trial and error, trying a bunch of different things, trying to figure out what was wrong with me, buying all the eBooks that they had online at the time. Um, And I started to get better when I went gluten-free. I started to feel better with some like sort of paleo type diets. And then I finally found a doctor who tested my thyroid and he was like, you have Hashimoto's, you have a really, like really low thyroid, your antibodies are high. And I was like, oh, okay. That that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so kind of after I had tried everything, I was managing it pretty well with with diet and lifestyle. But after I got on the thyroid medication, um, a really low dose, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel normal again. I didn't realize how how it slowed my brain down, how it changed my mood, how I was cold all the time. I live in Colorado, so being cold all the time all the time is not fun. Um, and that was, you know, that was like my mid twenties. And ever since then I've been sort of tweaking and and changing things to, to kind of lower my medication dose, um, to just like improve my health and lifestyle overall. And so basically through that journey, I got really interested in women's health, um, because a lot of what I was dealing with, I, I thought were because of birth control, which they were, I had to basically, um, regulate my hormones again. I had zero estrogen and progesterone, like zero, whenever I did uh, hormone panels in my early 20s, which is not good. It's like, I, no, I have that's to, not good. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of what I did first. And then the thyroid came later. So I'm really passionate about helping women. I think a lot of women have a really similar story to mine where they get on birth control really young and, and don't realize once they come off why all of these things are happening to them. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got to where I am now. And so I, I was an engineer. I did that for a couple of years, um, did the corporate lifestyle, hated it. I hated having a desk job. And so I spent all my time listening to podcasts at work. (laughs) Ben Greenfield was one of them. Um, there were a lot of different podcasts out then. And, and, uh, I basically just jumped ship and decided to go full on into health. So I got my uh, certification in nutrition coaching. I started my own coaching business for a while. I had 
um, an online business where I consulted with women with thyroid disorders. And after a couple of years, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything about marketing. I had no idea how to market myself, how to build a website, like nothing like that. Um, and it was just really hard to, I think, keep clients coming in. And so I kind of stumbled into my job at Keon by going to a conference and meeting Ben. Um, and that's how we met. Angela was like, I, I got brought on to develop Keon U, the course with Ben, um, the coaching certification course. So yeah, that's where I am now and um, I'm loving it. So you, amazing. So now are you kind of splitting your time between Keon and still helping? Do you still help women with um, hormonal problems as well? Are you continuing that? You know, I didn't. Um, I still have my website and everything. I still have my blogs up, but it was too much to manage uh, between having a full-time job, being a manager there and trying to do coaching on the side. Um, so yeah, I haven't, I haven't done any coaching on the side. I still will kind of consult with people through Instagram a little bit just for free. Um, so if anyone ever has any questions, I'm I just like DM me on Instagram. I'm happy to help. Um, and then jumping on podcasts too. I hope that helps people in some way as well, but no, I'm fully key on now. You're fully key on, yeah. but you know a lot and you do a lot of research. You obviously have great experience working with hormones, but you also do a lot of research as well with Keon and write for them as well, don't you? So I'm really keen to um, dive into some of that in just a moment. But sticking with the Hashimoto's, just for anyone that's listening who maybe has it or perhaps um, their partner has it, you mentioned there, like some of, just so people can understand it, this is where your thyroid is, it's an autoimmune disorder, but my understanding is, is that it's largely underactive, but it can actually trip both ways. Is that right? So you can kind yeah. of go from underactive to overactive and then back again. So it's mm -hmm. quite hard to handle. Um, yeah. What are the symptoms? You mentioned hair loss uh, that happens for some people, cold. Was that feeling of cold, was it all over or was that in your extremities, kind of your hands and your feet? Um, did, did you have weight gain if it was underactive? You did as well. I, you know, I, that's actually one of the symptoms that I didn't have. And I okay. think I, it took so long for me to get diagnosed because I've always been pretty lean. Um, and so they, they, they would look at me and say, you don't look like you have a thyroid disorder. Um, but yeah, so cold, cold all the time. It was definitely hands and feet for sure. My fingers would actually go numb a lot, uh, cause I had no circulation essentially. And I, I would just get cold really easily. Like I'd always be cold, always be wearing a sweatshirt, that sort of thing. I think that's really common with women too. Like I know so many women who are just like, I'm always cold. Um, it could be an underactive thyroid. I just think it's way more common than people think, even if it's just subclinical hypothyroidism. Um, that's a, that's a really common symptom. Yeah. And I think there's a difference, isn't there? Lots of doctors will, they will test for, is it underactive to the point of disease um, in terms of the pathology rather than looking for how is it optimal? Um, and so there's a, there's a mismatch there, isn't there? Um, yeah. <clears throat> you mentioned with the pill. So this is uh, the birth control pill. This is really common. Um, obviously, we both experienced that in terms of being prescribed it very young. But you kind of like linked that a little bit to when you came off it, having some of the issues. What would you what would you say has happened there? So I know that you felt that when you were an athlete, you could notice that your strength and your performance was going down on the pill. Mm -hmm. What kind of happened then as you grew? Can you elaborate a bit more on that, but also what happened then as you came off it um, in your 20s? Yeah. So, so being on it, what I noticed was uh, water retention. So 
the pill makes you essentially take on water. So I gained like five or 10 pounds, not a lot, but enough to be like, Oh, you know, my pants Mm. don't really fit anymore. Um, another thing that I noticed was my, my, my mental function wasn't very sharp. So I was always really good in school. I got good grades, but for some reason, the late, the latter half of my high school, um, experience, which is a long time ago, but I do remember it was really hard to retain any information. I found myself being distracted a lot. Word recall was really slow. Um, and so I think that it really impacted my, my brain function. I don't know the science there, but I do know that um, through some mechanisms, I think it's a downregulation of certain hormones um, or just not having them at all from taking the pill that your, your mental function is not as sharp when mm-hmm. you're on it. Um, what else did I notice? Th- I think those were the two big things. Luckily, I wasn't on it very long. I was on it for three or four years. Um, but I would say those those were the two biggest that I noticed for sure. And then coming off of it, oh man, that's when shit hit the fan. Oh, sorry. I don't know if you have to bleep that. <laughs> no, I don't need to bleep it. It's fine. Okay. We'll <laughs> it's only little, mostly like, adults listening, I think. <laughs> okay. A little explicit. Yeah. Um, so I came off of it and it essentially, for, for one, my hormones were in the tank. Like hormonal birth control essentially shuts off your natural hormone production. And mm-hmm. so it just gives these fake hormones. And so when you're 15 or 16, your body doesn't even know how to produce them yet on its own. Um, so I came off of it. My body basically had to relearn how to produce estrogen and progesterone. And I didn't have a menstrual cycle for like a year and a half, nothing. Um, another thing, my, my skin just went crazy. It, I had terrible acne on my face. Um, and that was, yeah, I think that was probably the worst part for me. Cause the reason why I got on it in the first place was, was to clear up my skin and so now that I came off of it, my face just erupted essentially. Um, so that was another thing. And then and how did you deal with that in terms of the, the hormonal acne? What did you find were the best things that helped you? Was it, was it dietary modifications or? Yeah, yeah. it was, it was mostly diet. So um, luckily the skin is, it, I found it's pretty easily cleared up with diet. So that's actually when I got into fasting, um, was to, to like, to try and clear up my skin. Like that was my, my mission in my early twenties was like, this is ridiculous. Um, so I got into fasting a little bit, the, the longer extended fasts. I did a lot of weird detoxes, like all of this crazy <laughs> stuff. Um, and then I noticed dairy and gluten were huge triggers for me. So it took a little trial and error, but I think that that information is more readily available for people now. Um, but for sure, dairy and gluten were big triggers, sugar a little bit. Um, but those were, those were big ones. So kind of going to a paleo type diet really helped my skin a lot. Mm. Yeah. I think that's really common, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned there just kind of like dipping a little bit into fasting. So at that point, when you were trying to solve these issues, you were doing, uh, longer fast, but since then you've done a lot of research into this area in particular. And that was, that was one of the, the reasons actually for inviting you on the show, because I think people misunderstand and they try and apply the same rules for men and women. And, uh, you've definitely kind of looked quite closely at how fasting might be different for women and how it may affect their hormonal cycles. So 
I know that from the research I've done, uh, the rules seem to be different for menstruating women and postmenopausal women. So postmenopausal women are more like men. But can you explain a little bit for people listening what, because um, the research is limited, right, in terms of actually doing studies on women. But can you sort of summarize a little bit for women who are looking to incorporate intermittent fasting and, and how you think they should go about that? Yeah, definitely. So like you mentioned, the science is really limited. So a lot of what we hear about the benefits of fasting, um, how it's really great for uh, mental clarity and body composition, fat loss, um, insulin sensitivity, all of those things, most of those claims are based on studies done on men or on mice. Um, So there's really only a handful of studies that are actually done on reproductive age women. I think there's between there's less than five, I'm pretty sure, because um, I had to do a deep dive for all of those articles. Um, but essentially what we see in those studies that are done on women um, is sometimes we see the opposite effect on reproductive age women. And so it makes you think, you know, what, why, are, why does that happen? Why do women actually see the opposite effect uh, that men do when they fast? And so I, I kind of looked into that a little bit and it I think the best way for that to make sense for me is from looking at women from an evolutionary perspective and an ancestral perspective. So essentially what we have sort of our biology expects is around a reproductive age where we're going to be reproducing, we're going to be getting pregnant, um, we're going to have to feed that baby and nourish that baby uh, while it's in our stomach. And then once we give birth to that baby, so we have to be really stored up on nutrients and our body has to feel very safe and feel like we have enough nutrients to essentially be able to carry a, a fetus to term and then to breastfeed it. So I think in terms of that perspective, it makes a lot of sense why fasting may be a little bit trickier for women because you're essentially telling your body, Hey, there may not be enough food for you right now. Um, we're taking, you know, we're either restricting calories, which a lot of women do, or we're shortening our feeding window, which kind of gives the body the same signal. Like, Hey, there's, there's a lack of food here. Um, and so essentially what your body's first reaction to do is to shut down your reproductive cycle, because that's a really dangerous time to get pregnant, right? If we're uh, hunter gatherers, we're in a famine, there's a shortage of food. The last thing your body wants to do is, is to get pregnant because it's a very expensive process. You need a lot of nutrients. You need a lot of food to be able to carry that out. Um, Otherwise it's super dangerous. And so from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Additionally, the, the actual mechanism of why uh, fasting can be, a little bit more detrimental to women is kind of unknown at this point. Like I've seen a lot of theories thrown around in terms of what it does to kispeptin, which is essentially a precursor to gonadotropin uh, reproductive hormone. And that's the precursor to all of your sex hormones. So um, estrogen, progesterone, luteinizing hormone, follicle stimulating hormone. And so when you, when you give your body the signal that there's not enough food or you're fasting or restricting calories, what your body does is it, it downregulates uh, that GNR, GNRH. And so all of your reproductive hormones as a result of that will also get downregulated. And so even if you're not trying to get pregnant, uh, which is totally fine, you're, you still need those hormones for a lot of reasons, for a healthy menstrual cycle, um, for body composition, for bone density, for skin mm-hmm. and hair health, for mental cognition. Like those hormones are very important for women to just 
do what we need to do on a daily basis and to look and feel good. Um, yeah, so and I think that, a lot of women don't realize that, do they? Even the effects of things like estrogen on brain fog and yeah. like it's so important to have these at optimal levels. Yes, definitely. And so in a nutshell, the reason why I think fasting uh, affects women differently than it does for men or may not work or we may need to do less of it or less often is because of that reason. Um, and this is obviously for uh, premenopausal reproductive age women. This is for uh, even perimenopausal women. Doesn't necessarily apply to postmenopausal women. Um, and so that's where it gets very, very interesting and very complex is, is, is fasting good for women? Um, how old are you? Uh, what's your health history? Are you, are you trying to get pregnant? Um, do you have menstrual cycle irregularities? Like all of these questions sort of come into play when you ask that very simple question. And with men, you know, none of those things apply. They essentially have the same hormone status uh, throughout their life and they don't have to, they don't have that biology to have to carry and, and feed and nourish a baby. So um, they can get away with it a lot more than I think women can, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so for women who obviously want to incorporate fasting because, you know, the benefits in terms of autophagy, in terms of assisting with body composition, even it can be so useful, um, even without necessarily reducing calorie intake. What mm -hmm. would you say? Um, I know that like I find pretty much everyone can benefit from a 12 hour overnight fast. Even children, if you look at them, will regularly not eat. You know, once they've, once babies have got out of the milk phase, um, that phase, they, they generally are easily fasting for 12 hours by the time, because they're sleeping pretty much 12 hours. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say for women who are in their sort of twenties, thirties and forties in those, in those sort of three decades um, is the optimal fasting period? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm glad you narrowed it down to that period too. So I don't have to make a bunch of caveats. Um, so I think what you just said, 12 hours to start off is great. You still get a lot of benefits from fasting for 12 hours, um, most notably on sleep. So you could fast from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. That's not very hard. You know, a lot of people can actually do that pretty well. Um, and so you've got a, a three to four hour window of not eating before you go to bed, which is great for a lot of reasons. Um, if we eat right before we go to bed, we're spending a lot of energy digesting that food and not necessarily doing uh, cellular cleanup, uh, cleaning fluid out of the brain, uh, the, the fat loss benefits that come with that. So I think 12 hours is a great start. Um, after that, I would ask, what is your, what's your goal with fasting? What do you want to get out of it? Um, and that will help you answer the question of how often do I need to fast and how long? So for example, if you um, are just really interested in the mental clarity that comes with it, for example, I'm fasting right now. It's uh, almost 10 a.m. in Colorado, and I wanted to be really clear-headed for this podcast. Um, so I, I decided I was going to fast, have a cup of coffee, and um, that helps me a lot if I have to perform mentally in the morning. Because again, your body's not basically diverting energy to digesting food. So in that scenario, I think you, if you're between 20 and 40 and you want to try fasting for that purpose, you can do um, anywhere from 14 to 16 hours of an intermittent fast. So essentially you could skip breakfast and wait till lunch, 11 or 12 a.m. Um, or you could eat an early lunch or a late breakfast at around 10 a.m. Um, 
The one caveat that I would say for that is if you are an active woman, um, or if you have, if you're active, if you're lean, if you have a history of thyroid disorders or, or menstrual cycle irregularities, I wouldn't do that more than three times a week. Um, because what essentially what you're doing is you're putting your body, you're putting a, a, a stress on your body. The more often you do that, um, the more stress you're adding. So, um, you could say do the crescendo method, which is 12 to 16 hours of intermittent fasting, or I believe it's 14 to 16 of intermittent fasting three days a week. If you really want to be careful, do that on less active days. Um, so do it on your rest days or do it when you're working out in the afternoon, um, perhaps just doing some strength training and nothing super uh, glycolytically demanding. So if you're going for optimal, maybe optimal athletic performance and mental clarity, I think that's a great approach um, to do the 16 hours, three days a week. Let's say if you're in the scenario where you're a bit overweight, um, maybe you need to lose some weight and you've, you've heard that intermittent fasting is good for that. You want to sort of uh, condense your feeding window and not be snacking all the time. Um, you could potentially do it uh, intermittent fasting of the 16 hour window, 16, eight, five days a week. Um, the reason why I wouldn't recommend doing it every day is because you actually don't want to downregulate your thyroid production um, because thyroid is really important for metabolism and for burning fat and uh, hanging on to muscle. And so if you do, if you intermittent fast every day, even if you're not very active and you have a lot of weight to lose, um, you're not giving your body the signal that there, there is uh, an abundance of food. So it'll start to like hold on to fat. Stool. Yeah, it'll yeah. start to store. And you could potentially spike your cortisol over time by doing that too often. So I would say on the weekends, um, have the refeed days. So eat in a 12-hour window, um, maybe eat a little bit more if you're restricting calories on those intermittent fasting days, but you really want to take care of that thyroid hormone because it's very, very important. <laughs> very important. And I yeah. think people don't realize as well, when you're talking about that there as well, is that even if you're doing a 12 hour fast, actually, that doesn't mean that you have to be eating all the time. So then having four to five hour mini fasts in between meals can actually help with metabolism and with making sure that you're not over consuming calories. Um, because people, I guess some people don't count drinks as, as, a, as um, breaking the fast, but if they're going to um, Starbucks and having some kind of yeah. caramel latte, then, then you're kind of eating because you've had breakfast and then you stop off at the coffee shop and oh, then you have yeah. something else two hours and then you have lunch and then you have a snack. And then actually you're spending pretty much the entire day uh, digesting some form of food or another, aren't you? So even just having those fasting windows, would you say in between meals uh, can help people with that weight loss? Absolutely. I think that's a really great point. Um, because just because you're, you're fasting in a certain period and then you have a feeding window, right. Of 12 hours, you don't actually have to be feeding in that entire time. Yes. <laughs> um, and those, those shorter windows, uh, uh, between meals of fasting are really, really important for digestion. They're very important for, um, basically keeping you insulin sensitive. So yes, that's a great point is still try to stick with the three meals in that 12 hour window. Um, and I think you'll find a lot more benefit that way by doing that. Yeah. Thank you. And on the, um, in terms of like, if somebody is going on those, those certain days of the week, whether that's three or five, and they're actually going to shorten the feeding window, you mentioned there, don't do any kind of heavily glycolytic workouts. So like hit training or something like that. Um, but for, for the more um, energetic individual who is actually got quite high training volume, 
Mm-hmm. Would you suggest then to, because um, I know Stacey, Dr. Stacey Sim is quite strong on this, but actually then you do need to be refueling and you need to be eating and not having these longer fasting periods if you're very active or athletic individual. Yeah, I, I think Stacey Sims has a very specific audience. So it's it's really important to keep in mind, like who who's the expert that you're listening to and what's their audience? Who are they speaking to? Because she's speaking to like endurance athletes, triathletes, super active women who are basically trying to optimize their strength and performance. And so keeping that in mind, it makes sense why she would say, you really don't want to fast at all. Like she, I, I'm pretty sure she does not advocate for fasting whatsoever outside of the 12 hour window. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, that's a good point because what you need as an athlete and as a, a highly active individual is you need fuel to be able to feed your muscles to recover, um, so that you can come back the next day and perform even better. So that makes a lot of sense. I think if you, uh, if it were me and I was incredibly active in a triathlete and whatnot, I probably wouldn't go outside the 12 hour window. Most days, what I may do is incorporate a longer fast. Um, every two to four weeks. So what I what I might do is I would do a Sunday um, twenty to twenty four hour fast because essentially what you're doing there is you're you're cleaning out debris, um, you're giving your digestion a break, and that and that in turn will help you recover faster as well. So that's probably what I would do um, if I were an extreme athlete. Twelve hours every day, twelve to fourteen maybe, um, and then. Once or twice a month, I would do uh, on a rest day where I'm not doing anything besides yoga or walking or something like that. I would do a longer fast um, to just sort of get those those cellular debris cleanup benefits. Um, yeah, so that's what that's about, what I recommend. Um, what about for women who are, they're not athletes, but they have really, really high demands. So I know like a lot of the listeners are, you know, women, professional women or women with really busy careers and they maybe have children as well. And so the demands on them in terms of stress is very high and they're having yeah. to, you know, you know, at the end of their working day, they're effectively starting a whole new job of getting the kids to bed. And there's not really that gear change that you would get until 8.30. You know, I, I just got off a call actually with a client earlier and, and she was saying, and, and I remember this when mine were younger and you're kind of, you're not getting off that they've gone to bed and then you're eating at half eight, nine, and actually even mm. trying to achieve uh, and, you know, three hours gap before you go to bed after eating is notoriously difficult because the demands yeah. are so high. Mm-hmm. In that scenario, what would be your suggestion? Because obviously you don't want to stre- overstress the body, but you do want to get some protective um, benefits. So for, for me, uh, with women like that, I almost go with the athlete approach and say, let's try and just get that 12 hours in um, and, and kind of take it from there. Because, you know, in a few years, life will change a little bit. Exactly. I think, I think what you just mentioned is, is probably what I would advocate for as well, because the, the whole idea is stressing is, or stressing, (laughs) fasting is a stressor, right? It's a hormetic stressor. That's what gives us some of the benefits from it, but it also uh, attributes to your overall stress load. That is an actual scientific term, your stress load. And so if I am fairly active, I have a a demanding career. I work long hours. I have kids that I have to put to bed when I get home. And then I can't eat till eight 30 or nine. Um, I'm already probably pretty stressed. You know, I have a lot of stressors on my body mentally and physically. Um, do I really want to add another one such as fasting to that? 
And I think the, the, the question to ask yourself is, is why again, why, why do you think you need to fast? Does it, um, is there a certain benefit that you're looking for that you think it'll give you? How does it make you feel? Does it make you feel worse or does it make you feel better? I think those are really important questions to ask yourself. And so I think it depends on the person. Honestly, I think if they, they find that, you know, I have a lot more energy if I skip breakfast for the rest of my day and I can deal with my kids and all of these things, I, I'm just way sharper and they've been doing it for a decent amount of time and they're not experiencing any side effects that women often get when they're doing calorie restriction or fasting too often, then it may be okay for that person. Um, because when it comes down to the, your health status, it really depends on your genetics and how you grew up as a kid and, and all of these different factors that uh, kind of make you and I very different, how we're going to, to be impacted by something like fasting. So those are two questions to ask yourself. Why are you doing it? And is it working for you, um, how you're doing it now? And if it's not, be honest with yourself. Because like you said, there are seasons in life. There's going to be a season in life when your kids are gone and your career is not as crazy and you're older um, and you have more time to fast and you can really focus on longevity. But maybe this isn't the season for you to be fasting or doing any extended fasting because you have all of this other stuff going on and you really just need fuel. Um, so I think that's a really important thing for, for people to consider is... Um, yeah. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it just because you heard it was good for you on a podcast yeah. and you want to lose a little weight? There are a lot of other ways to lose weight besides fasting. It's not the only way. Um, and so are you doing it for autophagy? Again, a lot of other ways to get autophagy. You don't have to just fast. So um, I would just say, do what works for you and uh, be honest with yourself if, if it is working. <laughs> Because I think a lot of women can maybe think that it's working, but when they step back, they're like, oh yeah, actually I haven't lost any weight. I'm actually yeah. kind of tired. My hair's sort of falling out. My skin's kind of breaking out. Maybe it isn't working for me, you know? Exactly. And maybe that rest day, if they were trying to do an extended fast, that, that Sunday rest day for them is just not a rest day at all because they're running the kids <laughs> like I am off to different sports clubs when we're not in partial lockdown. And then, totally. you know, doing homework and just every day is a work day and, you know, it's enjoyable. But yeah, the demands are high. And the other thing as well, I guess, is um, coming out of a fast. This is important because I think you um, mentioned this in one of your articles is that, you know, your digestive enzymes may not be kind of fired up in quite the same way when you're coming out of a fast. And so mm -hmm. not everyone can go and have one of Ben Greenfield's big, massive lumps of meat uh, straight <laughs> after <laughs> and digest it well. Uh, it's kind of a case of easing out of it, I think, isn't it? Than just dumping, you know. 1500 2000 calories all at once <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i think it i think that i remember him saying that somebody asked him what he eats after a fast he's like <laughs> a big ribeye and i was like oh that's aggressive um no i think i think it depends on how long you're fasting again so if you if you did do that 20 to 24 hour fast you're probably going to need to activate your digestive enzymes a little bit because they may be shut down um and so there's a few ways that that you can do that you can actually take digestive enzymes um, in a supplement form, you can do something that uh, stimulates hydrochloric acid, like uh, lemon water, apple cider vinegar, um, bitters, uh, things like that, about 30 minutes before your meal to sort of just get the juices flowing, uh, literally. And uh, you can also, if you're doing uh, 
I think if you're doing just a 20 hour fast, this isn't as important, but let's say you're doing a multiple day fast, um, or you're doing like a, a caloric liquid fast is what we call it at Keon, where you're doing like bone broth or smoothies or something for a few days, you'll probably want to ease into it. So you'll probably want to take the digestive enzymes and do the bitters and everything, but do something that's very easy to digest, not necessarily a big fat steak, but uh, maybe a smoothie or some soup or um, some avocado, like something plant-based, but, but cook the plants, I would say. Um, maybe some salmon, things that are really, like, really easy for the body to digest. And then um, so break your fast slowly with like a mini meal. And then you can do a, a full-on meal later after that. So that's what I would suggest for people um, doing those those like longer extended fasts. And to mm. be to, to be totally transparent, um, I do a, a two to three day fast every quarter. So a lot of what um, what I recommend for for women to just keep an eye out for, like I've experienced a lot of those things. So that's why I'm like. Pay attention to your skin and your hair and your weight and everything like that. Um, and I found for me doing a, a two to three day caloric liquid fast is what I do every quarter is actually very sustainable and doesn't lead to a lot of issues for me. And I do it for my autoimmune disease. So I essentially get a lot of the autophagy that way, a lot of the gut healing that way, and uh, is, a, is a really great like reset for me every quarter, essentially. Um, and so that is when you say you do, and, and I know Keon does these um, fasts as well, don't they? Kind of yeah. fasting challenges. Mm-hmm. So when you're doing that, is it, so it's things like bone broth and essential amino acids. Are you having any meal like in the evening or is it just a straight kind of two to three day um, caloric fast? The way that I do it is a, a straight two to three day caloric fast. And so mm-hmm. I, um, I used to do just bone broth. Um, and essential amino acids and coffee and and stuff like that, because I really wanted the gut healing benefits of bone broth. Um, That's not super appealing to do year round when it's really hot out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I actually switched recently to this uh, product called Thorn Metaclear. Um, You can get it on Thorn's website, T-H-O-R-N-E. And it's basically, it's like a huge tub of a pre-made drink mix but there's no sugar in it. There's no artificial ingredients. It's essentially like a multivitamin with a lot of gut healing and and detoxification nutrients in it as well. So I'll do that instead. Um, And I'll usually just like blend it up with some ice. So it makes kind of like a smoothie type thing. And I'll do two to three of those a day um, with some bone broth and tea and coffee and all that stuff sort of mixed in. So those are really like my, that's really my only source of calories during the fasting. Um, and it's all like very easily digested calories. So I'm getting a lot of those gut reset benefits from doing that. Yeah. Brilliant. And um, when you're doing that, how does that, have you, have you tracked in terms of how that affects things like your HRV and your sleep? You know, I actually just got an aura ring. Just <laughs> same, past- we have the same color, I think. <laughs> oh yeah, we do. Um, in the past few months. So I haven't done a fast in the time that I have had my aura ring. So I don't know, but TBD. Um, I did a, I did a 24 hour fast uh, a few days ago with it and my HRV did go up and my sleep was pretty good. Um, so it was I, good. Okay. So yeah. you like, cause I know some people when it's like stressing the body, actually, then they're finding it harder to sleep when right. they're fasting. 
You know what I've uh, I've found that really helps with that is because I used to have that that spike in cortisol later at night that I, I wouldn't be able to sleep when I was fasting. Essential amino acids help a lot with that. So I'll take those at night. Um, I'll take like a half a dose of it. So about three grams of essential amino acids. And that kind of just, I think it just helps um, the, the serotonin production. So you're basically giving your hormones a precursor it needs to make serotonin. And so I, I find I sleep a lot better when I take essential amino acids at night. And there, there's no calories in most of the brands out there. Um, just find one that doesn't have sugar or anything like that. And uh, that, will, that will help your sleep a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. And before we move on from fasting then, so for, for the men that are listening, if they've actually <laughs> managed to wade through this long mm-hmm. uh, to us talking about birth control and women. <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone who's still listening, for men, the rules are different, right? So they yeah. can do 16-8 very easily, or they can drop calories certain days and do all kinds of an extended fast. Can you just summarize that? Not spending like ages because there's other stuff (laughs) we can talk about um but yeah just to to briefly summarize I think we have covered some of it yeah men men definitely don't need to be as careful with it um I've noticed it with my husband as well they can get away with um more frequent fasts and longer fasts than women can and I I really think it's just because women are more sensitive to calorie restriction and uh shifting our timing men are not so evolutionarily men were kind of out doing stuff and being active in a fasted state because they were the hunters you know and so they had to go out and actually perform um in these in these levels of like fasted states when they, they don't have any fuel on board. And so in that way, um, men can deal with a lot more stress, honestly, than I've, I've found that women can. And not to say that anyone is better than the other. Like I think women are, are amazing in these other ways, but we just have to be more careful when it comes to food and stress, honestly. Um, and so I think men can, can, it, it also depends on like why they're doing it. So I think daily intermittent fasting for men can definitely work. My husband is one of them. He, he skips breakfast almost every day and is very lean, super active. He just likes the way that it, it helps his, his brain function in the morning. Um, they can get away with longer extended fasts. I know a lot of men who do like 10 day water fasts and are completely fine. Um, and, and are not messed up whatsoever. They actually find better body composition benefits from it. Um, some of the studies that I referenced in that article actually showed that uh, men have better insulin sensitivity when they fast, whereas women, their insulin sensitivity actually gets worse. Um, they have better muscle gains when they fast because it increases testosterone. And so they're more um, sensitive uh, when they do actually refeed, they'll actually feed their muscles. So Men get a lot more of the benefits, I think, of fasting yeah, than, <laughs> than women than women do, which is sort of unfair, but it makes sense from a from an evolutionary perspective. Um, so yeah, I think men, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, daily intermittent fasting, 16-8 is awesome. You can work out pretty hard in that fasting window and then refeed later. Um, if you want, if you're sort of older and you want to get the longevity benefits, you can do these like three to five day fasts, um, every once in a while. I know Dr. Peter, Peter Atia does, I think a three day fast every month, um, just straight water. And yeah, and he's found that it's really improved, um, his glucose levels and, um, longevity markers and CRP and all these things. Um, so yeah, I think do, do what feels good to you and you can do it more often and, and you can do longer fasts as well. And kind of play around with it. And for mm-hmm. exercise then, for both kind of 
men and women initially, and then we can sort of dive into the the differences for women. But when you are fasting, let's talk about exercise, because I know, for example, like getting up and doing a kind of high intensity workout in the morning when cortisol's high and you're in a fasted state isn't necessarily the best thing, unless it's the only time of day that you've got to exercise. Um, What are your thoughts? So if people are doing these fasting windows, what are your thoughts around um, and the research in terms of what kind of exercise and then how soon after that exercise they need to eat? Yeah. So I think I'd agree with what you just said. Um, if you're doing, if you want to do, so me, for example, I actually don't like to eat right before I work out. I've never liked that feeling. Um, and so sometimes I will do my workouts in the morning in a fasted state, but I take essential amino acids to make sure my hormones just actually have some fuel to, to essentially, um, use. And, um, I will eat right after. So within a 30 to 60 minute window, um, Dr. Stacy Sims in her book is like very strict. I think about 30 minutes, but within 30 to 60 minutes, have a, a have a pretty solid meal. If you're going to do a fasted workout in the morning and try to do something like amino acids to, to give you a little bit of fuel to work off of. Um, it also like stabilizes your insulin as well. Um, and So that's what I'd recommend if you are like me and you kind of prefer to work out in that fasted window. I'll tell you what I don't do in a fasted morning state though. I don't do CrossFit. I don't do the hit burn class and I don't do long runs. Um, For me, I've just found that that spikes my cortisol too high. I'm hungry the rest of the day. So essentially Mm -hmm. anything that I just burned, I'm going to make up for later because I'm starving. Um, And it just makes me kind of tired later in the day too. And so those are things that I try to stay away from. I think everyone's different. Um, but I think if you're finding that you're bingy the rest of the day and you get kind of tired, maybe that's not the best thing for you. Um, yeah. Maybe just you kind of clonk out by four o'clock in the afternoon, don't you? And you're super yeah. hungry. Yeah. What have you found then in terms of like, what exercise do you find works best when you're in that fasted state? Yeah, for me, um, walking and hiking is great. Uh, I can do that, that in a fasted state, I can do strength training. So just the, the regular, like heavy lifting, uh, five by five kind of strength training, um, where I'm not getting too, I'm not, it's not too glycolytically demanding and I go pretty slow and I take a lot of rest. Um, I can do that. I can, but you're going heavy then, right? When you're doing that, presumably, if you're doing five by five, you're going pretty heavy. Yeah, you can. I don't lift super heavy. I'm sure it probably depends on how much you lift. Um, Mm. But I just found for me, it doesn't, I don't get that spike in cortisol that I get with a run or something super um, high intensity. For me, it's, it's more of like a restorative workout. So I suppose it depends, caveat depends on how heavy you're lifting. How intense it is. Yeah. And how much you're resting in between sets for sure. Um, what about like in terms of runs, if someone's just, you know, they like to wake up and do a kind of quick 20, 30 minutes, maybe up to sort of 5k, they're just, just going to dive out for a quick run. Um, yeah, I think it probably depends on, uh, your, your activity levels normally. So if that's, Mm -hmm. if that, if that run is like your max, um, for how long you typically run, then yeah, maybe wait until later or, or after you've eaten breakfast to do that. Um, but yeah, if it's kind of just like a, if that's like an easy recovery day for you, it's probably okay to just do a quick 20 to 30 minute run in the morning if you feel better in a fasted state. But again, definitely eat within an hour after that for sure. 
and also pay attention to if it's affecting your, your hormones or your weight or anything like that as well. And the main thing there is really important to get some protein on board when you've done that and also some healthy fats, Mm -hmm. depending on whether you're keto, if not, then some people can put in some carbohydrates as well. If they've done something that is metabolically quite demanding, right? Um, But I think if you, if you, if you're exercising in a fed state, then it's a bit of a misconception that you need to rush and eat 30 minutes later. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, You already have all that fuel on board. Um, so I, yeah, I don't think you need to eat right after again, unless you're like on some mass gainer program and, and you're trying to put on muscle, which probably applies more to the men than the women. But um, yeah, I agree with that. You don't need yeah. to eat right after. <laughs> you don't need to gorge and just ruin everything that you, you did because no. that was kind of a, a misconception, wasn't it? A few years ago. Oh my God, you've got to quickly, quickly go and you must spike your insulin now because that's going to help you put on muscle and it's super right. important. Yeah, um, right. So let's look at women, because this is something that I'm playing around with a little bit myself. And I know lots of people keep um, talking to me about it over social media and on email. And I know that you yourself have been experimenting a bit with this, which is this concept of moving, changing your workouts around your menstrual cycle Mm -hmm. um, and how you can kind of at certain times of the month, you're going to be stronger. Certain times you might be able to do more kind of hit style workouts. And then you want to do something like yoga um, at other times. So do you want to just kind of unpack that a little bit for people? Yeah, definitely. So it's easiest um, for me and for explaining it to think of your, your cycle in two phases. So you've got the first two weeks is your follicular phase. Um, It's your low hormone phase. So it's, uh, it's kind of helpful to think of it like you're most like a man in the in that in phase. Stage. Yeah, in terms of where your hormones are at. And then the second half, the last two weeks, is your high hormone phase, your luteal phase. And that's um, when you can feel these like very female specific symptoms such as PMS. Um, you can uh, be a little bit more tired and fatigued, a little bit more cravy, you want to eat more, et cetera. Um, so because, uh, uh, so the, the follicular phase, um, right, right as your period starts and then the few days after your period ends up to ovulation, um, that's actually a really great time to kind of hit it hard with your workouts. Um, because you, you do have a little bit higher testosterone, your estrogen, your estrogen's higher, your progesterone is lower. And so those are the hormones that help you perform better. Um, you typically have higher energy in those phases and your muscle adaptation is better because your estrogen is higher. So for, for me, for example, every, every woman's cycle is different. This may not apply directly to you, but for me, kind of like day two or three of my cycle. So I I still have my period, but it's not the like crampy sort of phase of it. Um, I find I have a lot of energy. So mm-hmm. if I'm, if I'm going to do something that's, you know, a really long trail run, or I really want to go lift super heavy in the gym and try to get some PRs or, or something like that around days two to five are a really sweet window to do that. And so if you're a competitive athlete or um, you do races or something like that, if you have the uh, flexibility to do your races in that follicular phase, um, that's a, that's, you're probably going to see a lot of benefits in that phase. Um, I think this is when Paula Radcliffe, the British 
um, marathoner. I think she did break the world record on either oh. day one or two of her menstrual cycle, yeah. um, which is kind of surprising to people. But I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this, Kelsey, but I think as a woman as well, it varies month from month. So yes. month to month. So sometimes I'll have really high energy at that point. And then other times actually just feel really depleted. And I think, as you say, you have to go with how your body feels, don't you? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and so I think that can be really, that can be really hard for some women because they have specific training programs that they're following, or they like to have a routine or they like to do X, Y, Z on certain days. Um, for me, I've kind of gotten to the point where I do the workout that I feel like doing that day. Uh, and so that's kind of the point that I've gotten to my exercise is, do I feel really strong and energetic today? Am I in that first half of my phase? Do I want to get some PRs? Okay, I'm going to go do whatever workout it is. That's a little bit more intense. Um, yeah, that's a, like a common misconception from, you know, the, the, the 1900s was they would keep women from competing or like being too active during their period when really actually a lot of women see that they, they can hit their PRs um, during that time period. It's very mm. interesting. Uh, yeah, it is interesting. interesting. And also, I think your energy levels kind of go up and up, don't they? As you get more towards the middle of the month, towards yep. ovulation, your sex drive is obviously understandably higher. As my husband always says, you know, if you want to know what it's like to be like a man, then it's just like being on day 14 forever. <laughs> I love that he knows that. <laughs> so it's like, exactly. Um, yes. So he's totally. like, that's just what we feel like all the time, <laughs> uh, which is quite funny. But is um, funny. yeah, it's uh, at that point, I notice as well, like, like you were saying, I just feel stronger as well. I can kind of hit things harder. And it's mm-hmm. actually a little bit frustrating, isn't it? Because then later in the month, you, you don't feel necessarily that you can do it. And I think... Um, I think one of, it's either Elisa VT or Stacey Sims talks about this, is that actually that can be then the undoing of the gains that you've made if you continue yeah. to push because you're more catabolic, aren't you? And you actually can break down muscle tissue yeah. and then end up, yeah, undoing the work that you've done. Totally. So if you want, if you, if you're female and you're serious about um, whatever your sport is, find a trainer that understands this or understand it yourself, because I think it's really important to periodize Um, not just in terms of a lot of trainers will periodize in terms of weeks and months and, and, and sort of like do a a six to eight week period. You actually need like a periodization of like four weeks that fits Mm. within your menstrual cycle. Um, so if you want to find a, I don't know any, I'm sure they're out there, but if you want to find a trainer, ask them if they understand how to kind of structure your workouts for your menstrual cycle. So yeah, the, the, the first, the first half is great for building muscle. So if you want to do your strength training, um, during those times, if you want to do like high performance activities, glycolytically demanding activities, that's a great time to do it. Um, because you are in that muscle building phase and you can actually take on more carbs, um, in that phase too, which can fuel those types of glycolytically demanding workouts because you're more insulin sensitive. Mm-hmm. And then, then the second half, it's kind of like the opposite. So you're, you're more insulin resistance. You kind of want to taper down your carbohydrates and focus on more protein and fat. And you actually want to focus on more restorative fat burning activities. So the, the low steady state cardio and the fasted state can be good during this time, the yoga, the swimming, um, anything that's a bit more restorative is great for that second half of the phase. And that can also be more fat burning activities as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of like a great way to sort of structure your workout in terms of 
just working with your menstrual cycle. Mm. Um, and like you, you said, you have a taper week, a kind of on the last sort of week, can't you? Which exactly. is actually natural. And then, and then you're probably going to have even higher energy levels at the beginning of the month when you get to kind of day one, two as well. Exactly. Yep, exactly. Mm. And your meta- your metabolism spikes in that second half as well. So you find that you want to eat more and you probably actually should eat more unless you're trying to take advantage of those fat burning benefits. It's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, your metabolism can spike. I don't know what percentage it is, but it's pretty high. Um, so you can take in a lot more fuel. And then once you hit the, the restart of the menstrual cycle, you're ready to go again. Yeah. Which is interesting that your metabolism spikes a little bit then, because I've noticed that. And, and that's when people can sort of right before their period, they feel like they're craving something a bit sweeter. Um, mm-hmm. And then but actually you're saying you're more insulin sensitive, sensitive in the early part of the month. So it's almost yes. a case is it, of kind of going with the fat burning and lots of healthy fats. And then maybe if you're getting those cravings, substituting something sweet for dark chocolate that is yeah. equally satisfying. And gives you that Definitely. serotonin boost and kind of and dark, dark chocolate actually is high in magnesium, which you mm. really need around um, right before your period stress to help with those cramps too. So dark chocolate, yeah, is good point. Great. Yeah, yeah, really good point. And then, then kind of lastly on that, you've you've actually done something which is quite different as well. Um, we were chatting before. You've done what's known as seed cycling and using different herbs, um, different times of the month. Um, Yeah. Can you explain for people how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So seed cycling is basically taking in different um, seeds that boost what what hormone you want to boost in that period. So this is for people who are trying to regulate their menstrual cycle and get their hormones on track. Um, So essentially the the follicular phase day one through 14, you want um, to have an estrogen boost. And so uh, typically, if your hormones are off, you, you want that estrogen to be a little bit higher in that phase. So um, what it is, it's a, a tablespoon of ground flax and a tablespoon of pumpkin seeds daily. So it's pretty easy to just like throw that in a salad or something like that or a smoothie. Um, so it's only a tablespoon of each, which is not much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the second half of your cycle, you actually want to do um, a tablespoon of sunflower seeds and a tablespoon of sesame seeds. So kind of the same thing, salad, smoothie, and that will boost your progesterone in the second half. And so this is a way if you're if you're kind of if you're coming off birth control and you want to regulate your hormones naturally, this is a really great way of doing it. And um, Dr. Jolene Brighton has a little bit more information on her website about this. And I think it's, it's sort of like an Ayurvedic practice as far as I understand. So there's a lot more information for people who want it. Um, and then you use that in the kind of perimenopause stage then where maybe, you know, estrogen and progesterone are dropping off, but maybe progesterone is dropping a bit quicker. Could you then substitute and try and naturally raise progesterone? Yeah, I I think you could. Um, So you could do the sunflower seed and the sesame seed to boost the progesterone a little bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. Another herb that I've used uh, for boosting progesterone is uh, Vitex chase tree berry. Yeah, Uh, you can find that on Amazon. It's really cheap and easy to find. And that's been really great for boosting my progesterone in that second half as well. Yeah. So you've, you've taken that just in the second half of the month of you? Yeah. So I I played around with it, taking it daily for a few months. And then I played around. So kind of what you'll experience if you're a little bit high in progesterone is um, potentially a bit of weight gain and like 
your, your breasts will get like bigger and a little more sore. So that can maybe tell you that you're, you're too high on progesterone. Um, so I tried taking it daily for a few months and then I kind of got to that point where I was like, I feel like I have too much of this and then just started taking it in the second half when I needed that progesterone boost. It's quite calming as well though, right? So it's good for anti-anxiety and yeah, kind of helping stabilize mood as well. Okay. Interesting. Um, Wow. Well, that was amazing um, to kind of unpack all of that. So super interesting to to kind of go through that. We've gone, (laughs) we have kind of gone through a lot of topics there. Um, What would be your kind of, just to kind of close then your sort of overarching advice to women in terms of your three top tips for optimizing their energy or let's let's open up men and women as well what are your kind of three top things that you do that you credit with helping you stay on point and focused and energized um each day oh man yeah a a very specific one for women is listen to your body i know that sounds Mm. really cliche and overrated but i think a lot of women will will take advice um from men experts a lot of the time, me included. Um, and so I think it's really important to, to just take that with a grain of salt and understand that a lot of these studies are done on men. Women are very hard to study. And so really all we can do is, is listen to our bodies. And so if you've been trying a protocol or trying a diet or something like that, and it's not working for you, um, take a step back and really reevaluate if, if it's, if it's what you should be doing at this time. Um, and honestly, a lot of the advice that applies to men, the actual opposite applies to women. So just yeah. keep that in mind. Um, <laughs> keep that in mind for sure. And then I think just in general, uh, gosh, they're going to be so overrated, but I'm really into just like the, the free natural things. Um, so sunlight, uh, vitamin D is so important. Get outside mm. in the morning, get vitamin D, don't wear sunglasses, try not to wear sunscreen if you can, um, and just really get a lot of exposure to, to natural light. Um, grounding is really important as well. So get out there without your shoes on, um, turn off your Wi-Fi at night. Don't keep oh, your yeah. phone in your pocket. Uh, definitely don't keep it in your bra. That's a terrible idea. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that is a terrible idea yeah, <laughs> if anyone's yeah, doing that. Totally. Um, and then sleep. Oh my gosh. Sleep. sleep. So, it's so a game important. changer, isn't it? The game changer. Yes. Yeah, the the one is. thing that'll mess you up the fastest is it's not getting enough sleep. So yeah. um yeah, take an hour before you go to bed at night, read, get off your screens, um, do some meditation, do some yoga, breath work, take a bath, anything that helps you relax. Um, and that I think that will help help people a ton. Keep your bedroom cold, um, all of that good stuff. Yeah. So sure. sleep, sleep, grounding, sunlight, you know, typical things, real food. Uh, health shouldn't be complicated. I think you, you kind of get to a point where, um, if you get to that baseline level of health, most of it is, is via free, free, Mm. accessible, really easy to understand things. And then there are the the group of people that really want to optimize. And that's cool too. Um, just make sure you have the baseline level of health before you do that. Make sure you've got all of your basics down, um, before you start to biohack and dabble in these other things. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's all the shiny toys are fine, but if you haven't got the <laughs> basics, <laughs> it's probably not worth it. Well, thank you yep. so much, Kelsey. Before you go, please share. I know you mentioned early on, and I think people will be excited to connect with you, that people can connect with you over Instagram. Can you share where can they find you? 
Yeah, my Instagram, it's mostly just pictures of my dog and mountains. So FYI. <laughs> That's always <laughs> not, nice. <laughs> not a lot of health related stuff, but um, it's it's Kelsey Hess. So I-T-S, Kelsey Hess, H-E-S-S. Um, that's my Instagram. And then you can also follow Keon. We put out a lot more health-related stuff and I kind of oversee all of that. Uh, so K-I-O-N on Instagram. Um, getkeon.com is our website and our blog is there too, where you can actually find really two in-depth articles on fasting for women in our archives. Um, so yeah, that's that's where you can kind of keep track of me. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'll link to all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your time. Thanks, Angela. It was great to talk. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.